and, and from our Congolese congregations. Um, uh, it is such a blessing to have people from other uh, cultures, other language groups. Uh, let's, have, let's have love and patience toward one another because I can't imagine trying to learn the English language uh, uh, if I didn't grow up with it. Uh, it's kind of a messy language. Um, um, and so we are just so glad to have each one of you here. And, um, and I hope you will come at any time to worship with us and um, uh, on any Sunday. And I hope that as a body of believers, we would just be so overjoyed uh, to have our brothers and sisters with us. And um, if we learn anything from the book of Acts, it is that God has a huge heart for the nations, for his gospel to go from Jerusalem, strictly Jerusalem, to Judea, Samaria, to the remotest part of the earth. And, um, and so this is an amazing thing. As we open his word, I'd like to pray, and then I'd like us just to see just a little video graphic of this incredible advance of the gospel uh, that started in a small little area on the globe, but now is continuing to move out to the uttermost part of the earth. Lord, I just pray that as we, as we study your word, that your Holy Spirit would truly empower each of us to be able to hear it in the way you want us to hear it, to understand it. Uh, help me, Lord, as your messenger, to be able to communicate in a way that is clear, uh, that is true, that is accurate. And, and so, Lord, we need your spirit right now to, um, to give us ears to hear, um, help us to um, hear well, communicate well, and may you ultimately be honored and glorified as your word goes forth. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Catch this little, uh, it's a cool little video graphic of the expansion of the gospel. In Jerusalem, A.D. 30, Jesus died on the cross, resurrected on the third day, and then ascended into heaven. Fifty days after Jesus' resurrection, the Holy Spirit fell on the apostles, giving them power, purpose, and a plan. Out of joy, the church was born. Empowered by the Spirit, Peter gave his first sermon, and 3,000 hearts were transformed. Hearing, receiving, and repenting, the young church walked in unity and garnered praise. Out of joy, the gospel creates community. Peter and John then continued to spread the gospel through preaching and miracles, and the church grew by 5,000. Yet inside and outside forces threatened the unity of the church. Still, out of joy, the church multiplied. In AD 31, Stephen gave a powerful sermon connecting the Old Testament to Jesus and rebuking the people for their hard hearts. Enraged, the people stoned Stephen, making him the first Christian martyr. In AD 34, the gospel continued to multiply through Philip's ministry in Samaria and Caesarea. Meanwhile, on the road to Damascus, the Lord transformed the heart of Saul, a man who persecuted countless Christians, and Saul became Paul. After this conversion, the gospel continued to spread through the ministries of Paul and Peter. God gave Peter a vision and used him to first reach the Gentiles. And as the believers were scattered because of persecution, Antioch became the church's center of operations, while the Lord continued to protect the church in Jerusalem. 
In AD 44, King Herod Agrippa I executed the Apostle James and had Peter arrested. But an angel rescued Peter, leading him out of the prison. In every day and age, the church faces both persecution and praise. All multiplication comes at a cost, but we must fight for and pray for unity. We must be willing to give up our preferences. We must be willing to say goodbye. We must continue to move forward for the good of the church and the sake of the gospel. Out of joy, the church multiplies. All right, pretty cool graphic um, of the expansion of the gospel in the early days uh, of, of the book of Acts. And um, so I want you to kind of have that visual in your mind as right the the book of acts is still being written we are part of this expansion of the gospel right here in marshalltown iowa and uh and so um as they say in the in the video every day and age the church faces both persecution and praise all multiplication comes at a cost but we i can't stress this enough we must fight and pray for unity And we'll look at that today. We must be willing to give up our preferences. You know how hard that is? I have my preferences. You have your preferences. We give up our preferences for the sake of Christ and the gospel. We must be willing to say goodbye. We must continue to move forward for the good of the church and the sake of the gospel. Out of joy, the church multiplies. All right? Uh, Say that with me. Out of joy, the church multiplies. That's what we're looking at in the book of Acts. We're doing kind of a flyover of the first century church, uh, looking at some of the ways that we see the gospel advancing, and uh, kind of our theme verse for the study, if you want to follow along on the outline in your bulletin, is, I consider my life, Paul says, worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the task. The Lord Jesus has given me the task of testifying to the gospel of God's grace. And so we are still involved in this task this is the task that we have been tasked with and and the lord jesus has entrusted the church with this task and so sometimes it's so easy to lose our uh, what i like to say get our ball lost in the weeds we lose track of what we're about and so as a result uh we get all enmeshed in our preferences and our uh, what we think is important, rather than centering ourselves on what Jesus says is the important thing. And, um, and so that's what I want us to kind of uh, get in this flyover of the first century church. Uh, a number of people are involved in various studies in the book of Acts, and so we're just going to kind of take a, a summary view of, of the book of Acts. So today we're in, in chapter 2. Uh, of the book of Acts on the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit falls upon these 120 believers that were huddled together in prayer in the upper room, uh, waiting, right, we saw last time, for the promise of the Father that, that Jesus spoke of to His disciples in the upper room. And, and so they were waiting for the Holy Spirit that would empower them to be His witnesses into Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the remotest part of the earth. And so... We're going to look at what it means to be saved and what it means to be the church. Um, The Gospel Transformation Bible says, Acts is a story of God's grace flooding out to the world from the cross and the resurrection of Jesus in Jerusalem to the ends of the earth. Nothing is more prominent in Acts than the spread of the Gospel. 
the gospel, the, the, the good news. The, it's, a, it's, it's a message about Jesus' death and his resurrection, his life, death, resurrection, and his exaltation. And we're going to see this powerfully in the first sermon that was preached in the book of Acts after the promise of the Father came and the Holy Spirit empowered them to be his witnesses, okay? So uh, here's kind of our outline of the book of Acts in Acts 1-8. So chapters 1-7, to the church starts in Jerusalem. Chapters 8-12, to it scatters to Judea, Samaria. And then chapters 13-28, to it sends missionaries to the end of the earth. And so we're still, you could say, in Acts 29. But here's, here's kind of the flow from this part of the world... Uh, anybody traveled to any part here in this part of the world right here that's on the map? Anybody traveled there? Okay. Uh, if you've been to Israel, uh, if you've been to Turkey, uh, I, I, that's awesome. I'd love to go to Turkey and, and to see where some of the early churches were. But here we have Italy and, and the expansion of the gospel to Rome. Um, and so this is just in the first century that we see this expansion. All right, And so the book of Acts, we said last time, is like a bridge between Christ's ministry in the Gospels and the New Testament letters written by the apostles. Every letter in the New Testament is able to find itself somewhere in the book of Acts. So Acts is less of a doctrinal book, but maybe a little bit more of a historical travelogue of the Gospel going from Jerusalem to the end of the earth. All right? And so... Um, we're looking at these progress reports. Um, we're kind of just taking little snapshots of the first century church. And now we're in Acts chapter 2, looking at how the Lord was adding to their number. Okay? That's where we're at. So, number one, what does it mean to be saved? I'm going to go ahead and read Peter's sermon. Uh, so I'm going to start at verse 14 of chapter 2. I want you to um, hang with me here because I think we need to hear this message in order to see how it tees up what happens in verses 37 to 47 um, kind of wouldn't be fair if we jumped in at verse 37 because Peter, under the power of the Holy Spirit, preached this incredible sermon. So let's, let's give him a little bit of uh, kudos here uh, in his message by the power of the Spirit. Verse 14 of Acts 2, the Spirit has come upon these believers. Everybody's wondering, what in the world just happened? We heard... We heard the mighty deeds of God spoken in languages that we could now understand at people from all over various places um, around the world. And, uh, and they're thinking that they're just drunk. Peter stands up and he says, uh, But Peter, taking his stand with the eleven, raised his voice and declared to them, Men of Judea and all who live in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give heed to my words. For these men are not drunk. As you suppose, it's only the third hour of the day. Who, who gets drunk at that time? But, but this is what was spoken through the prophet Joel. And it, 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 uh, and it shall be in the last days, God says, that I will pour forth of my spirit on all mankind. And your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. And even on my bond slaves, both men and women, I will in those days pour forth of my spirit. Repetition, pour forth of my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will grant wonders in the sky above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and the vapor of smoke. The sun will be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the great and glorious day of the Lord shall come. And it shall be, verse 21, uh, 
that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Key verse. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. It's repeated numerous times in Scripture. Verse 22. Men of Israel, listen to these words. Jesus the Nazarene, a man attested to you by God in miracles and wonders and signs which God performed through him in your midst, just as you also know, you yourselves know, this man delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God. Key words. Uh, This isn't just kind of a happenstance, random occurrence. God has been planning this. Predetermined plan and foreknowledge. You nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death. Verse 24. But God raised him up again, putting an end to the agony of death, since it's impossible for him to be held in its power. For David says of him, Oh, now he's quoting David. And he said, I saw the Lord always in my presence, and he is at my right hand so that I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart was glad and my tongue exalted. Moreover, my flesh also will live in hope because you will not abandon my soul to Hades nor allow your Holy One to undergo decay. You have made known to me the ways of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Verse 29, brethren, I may confidently say to you regarding the patriarch David that he both died and was buried. Can't be speaking of David, okay? And his tomb is with us to this day. And so because he was a prophet and knew that God had sworn to him with an oath to seat one of his descendants on his throne, quoting from 2 Samuel 7, he looked ahead and spoke of the resurrection of the Christ. Oh, so Psalms is speaking about Christ, that, that he was neither abandoned to Hades nor did his flesh suffer decay. This Jesus God raised up again, which we are all witnesses. Therefore, having been exalted to the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured forth this which you both see and hear. Jesus had to be ascended, so the Spirit came, the promise of the Father. Here it is. You've seen it. For it was not David who ascended into heaven, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him, Jesus, both Lord and Christ. This Jesus whom you crucified. Drop the mic. Sermon's over. Verse 37. Now when they heard this, They revolted against him. No, they were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brethren, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, I'm glad you asked. He says, Repent and each one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise, okay, promise of the Father is for you and your children, and for all who are far off. All far off. Gentiles? Are you kidding me? As, as many as the Lord our God will call to himself. And with many other words he solemnly testified and kept on exhorting them, saying, Be saved from this perverse, crooked generation. Verse 41. So then those who received his word were baptized, and that day they were added. About 3,000 souls. Verse 42, they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone kept feeling a sense of awe 
and many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. And all those who had believed were together and had all things in common. And they, were, they began selling property and possessions and were sharing them with all as anyone might have need. Verse 46, day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. This is the word of God to us. And... um, powerful as it is. Um, The Holy Spirit brings sinners to repentance and unites them together in gospel community so that they will impact the world. That's what we're seeing here. The Holy Spirit uses the Word of God to convict sinners and bring them to repentance and then unites them together as a community of believers called the church, a gospel community, in order that they might impact the world. That is what we see in these verses. Peter's first sermon on the day of Pentecost was grounded in Scripture. It was centered on the person and work of Jesus Christ as Lord. We could... We could teach a homiletics class. We could teach about preaching from Acts chapter 2 and just observe how did Peter preach under the power of the Holy Spirit? This is great. Uh, This is wonderful. You say, yeah, it's short too. It's about four minutes or something. No, okay, well, it says, I think it said something about in verse 40, with many other words he solemnly testified. So it probably went on a little longer. Uh, Scripture saturated sermon. He quotes from Joel 2. He quotes from Psalm 16. He quotes from Psalm 110. He quotes from 2 Samuel 7. I didn't throw that in. It was just a quick little mention of of David having someone sitting on his throne forever. He is just grounded in the Word of God. You go to a church and they just read a verse and then move on to the stories of the day or whatever. Listen, Forget that church. You need to have a church that is grounded in the Word of God. We need to hear from God. And Peter, under the inspiration of the Spirit of God, just started quoting the Scriptures and showing how it all pointed to the Lord Jesus Christ. This isn't rocket science. All you do is open the Word of God and show how it points to the Savior, Jesus Christ. That's the hinge upon which all the Bible swings, is the death, the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Look at it. Verse 22, he speaks of his life, his miracles, all that he's... It attested to who he was. It speaks of his death, this predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God. You nailed to the to the cross. And then notice, we said last time that the resurrection is a constant theme in the book of Acts, especially in the sermons. And and so the resurrection, what does the resurrection communicates the authenticity of the death of Christ, of who he was, the power of God to save um, and and to bring new life 
okay, the resurrection of Christ, and then finally the exaltation, that he is sitting at the right hand of the Father. We looked at this last time, his ascension to the right hand of the Father, and, and he is sitting, interceding for us, and he will come again. The climactic verse right at the end of the sermon, Therefore let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ. You, you, these are loaded terms. Nobody is Lord except Caesar, the Romans thought. You know what I mean? Uh, Lord means master, that sovereign, uh, that, that you submit to him. And so he says he's made him Lord and he's made him Christ. This is the word for Messiah. All that the Old Testament looked forward to uh, in, in Jesus. He is the fulfillment of it all. This is who you crucified. And I bet you could have heard a pin drop in this assembly. Uh, there had to be at least 3,000 people. They say, that, they say that Wesley, they see that Whit- Whitfield uh, preached to thousands of people. Spurgeon, 6,000 at a time. And uh, he preached. There probably wasn't microphones back then. And so his voice just carried out. And so there's a lot of people gathered here on the day of Pentecost, and they are hearing this message, Christ-centered message, saturated in the Scriptures. And he's saying, this is who you crucified. question is, what are they going to do with that? Charles Spurgeon said, Do you know, young man, that from every town and every village and every hamlet in England, wherever you may be, there's a road to London? So from every text of Scripture, there's a road to Christ. And my dear brother, your business is, when you get to a text, to say, now, what is the road to Christ? I've never found a text that I've not got a road to Christ in it. And if ever I do, any good, any good uh, unless there is a savor of Christ in it. In other words, yeah, I mean, don't force it, but the, every point of Scripture is going to make an arrow to the person of Jesus Christ in some way. And, um, and so Spurgeon said, I take my text and make a beeline to the cross. And, uh, and that is exactly what Peter did under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. So, while the people respond, they were deeply convicted of their sin by the Holy Spirit. And that is a work of the Spirit, right? We don't convict people. You, you listen to a sermon many times and you're nudging the person next to you. Are you hearing this? Are you hearing this, right? And listen, it does no good. The Spirit of God is the one who convicts of sin and righteousness and judgment. This is what Jesus said in John 16. And so under the inspiration of the Spirit, He preaches the Word of God. And the Spirit uses the Word of God to convict these people of their sin and rebellion against God. The text says, verse 37, they were pierced to the heart. That's a very strong word, pierced to the heart. And uh, have you ever been pierced to the heart? And, um, and then he challenged them to repent and be baptized. Repentance is a constant theme. Resurrection is a theme in the book of Acts. Repentance is a theme. That was a, that was a theme of John the Baptist. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And, and so here we see repent come up in verse 38. Underline that word. Um, 
it would remind us of the passage in Luke 24. We said Luke is the author of Acts, and he was the author of the Gospel of Luke. And here's what Jesus said at the end of the Gospel of Luke. He said to them, These are my words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things that are written about me, notice, in the Law of Moses, in the Prophets, Joel would be there, in the Psalms, Psalm 110, um, Psalm 8, and, and, and then he opened their minds to understand the Scriptures. Literally, he dilated them. You've ever been to Wolf Clinic or whatever, and you had your eyes dilated? He dilated their minds. Isn't that an amazing thought? God can do that. And he did it to help them understand. And then he said to them, Thus it is written that Christ would suffer and rise again. Here's the gospel. From the dead the third day. And that, here it is, repentance for forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all the nations beginning in Jerusalem. So Peter's just saying what Jesus said. He, he, the people say, what should we do? And he's thinking back, what did Jesus say to do? Okay, Jesus said to proclaim repentance for forgiveness of sins. So he does that. Repent, and each one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Wow. We see it in Acts 3. Therefore, repent and return so that your sins may be wiped away in order that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Peter's second sermon. Acts 5. He is the one whom God exalted to the right hand as prince and savior to grant repentance to Israel and the forgiveness of sins. Folks, this is not rocket science. <laughs> you, you, you study the Bible and you understand that the Scripture helps interpret Scripture. And so what do we have? We People come up here with verse 38 and say, let's see, repent plus be baptized to be saved. Listen, that is nowhere in the Scriptures. The key is repentance. This is what John the Baptist preached. This is what Jesus preached. This is what the apostles preached. It's all consistent. Repentance. What does that mean? It simply means to change direction. Change your mind. Change the way you think about yourself, your sin. Change the way you think about God and His Son, Jesus Christ. So you repent. It's like you're going down one way on the interstate and you get off on the off-ramp and you go across the top and you go the other way. That's repent. You're changing your direction. Significant word. In the Gospels in the book of Acts, and throughout the epistles. Repent. And it was, all, it was all over the Old Testament. If my people who are called by my name, we read this morning in Sunday school, will just humble themselves. I forget the rest of it, but it says, and turn from your wicked ways. I do remember that, okay? Humble themselves, call upon the Lord, you finish it. You look it up for yourself. I think it's like Second Chronicles seven fourteen or something. Anyway, uh, look it up, see what it says. But it, it says, "Turn from your wicked way." There's the repentance. There's a turn. Okay, all right. Uh, Acts twenty. Paul says to the Ephesians, I, "I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you publicly and from house to house, solemnly testifying both to Jews and Greeks of repentance." 
toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Repentance and faith are kind of two sides to the same coin. Uh, you turn from your sin and you trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, repent and each one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Baptism means to be identified. Write the word down, identified. It literally means an identification. When they would dip like a cloth into purple dye, the, the cloth would be identified with the dye, and it would take on an entirely new uh, identity. And, uh, and this is what baptism symbolizes, an identification with Christ and His body, the church. It is a response to repentance and faith and not a means of salvation. Absolutely not. Study every scripture in context. Study every scripture and let scripture interpret scripture. Everywhere in the New Testament we learn that justification is by faith alone, in Christ alone. This is how we are saved. Repentance and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. All right? Repentance for the forgiveness of sins, Jesus said. So, Marshall says, Christian baptism was an expression of faith and a commitment to Jesus as Lord. Now, it would be no small thing for an individual in the first century to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. People saw that, and they would, they would have a target on their back because of those who were hostile to, the, to Christ, to His followers. Um, it's still true today. You, you repent, you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, you are baptized into a body of believers called the church, and, and all of a sudden there's opposition uh, to your faith. This, isn't, this should not surprise us. Jesus said it would happen. But baptism simply means an identification with Him, uh, with His death, His resurrection, and, um, and with His people. And Luke tells us, Remember, Luke is kind of a doc, he's a physician and he's into details. He says, oh, about 3,000 souls. You say, well, if he's into details, why didn't he just say 3,000? I, I don't know. Uh, it says about 3,000 received Peter's words and were baptized and added to the church. What's significant here for us to note is that they had a record of souls that were added. That's interesting. I think that it does tell us something about the importance of identification with a local body of believers. That, that this is the body that you are choosing to identify with, imperfect as it is, <laughs> right? You've heard me say many times, if you find a perfect church, don't go there. Why? Because you'll ruin it. You'll ruin it. Yeah, because we're all sinners. We bring our imperfections into a body of believers. But they were identified with each other through baptism and they had a record of how many souls. Interesting. All right? Um, what it means to be the church. So the church is born here in the book of Acts. And, um, and let's finish this up with verses 42 and following. They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Christ's church is 
is constantly devoting itself. It's a, another strong word that refers to just um, continual focus upon the apostles' teaching to uh, fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Because they didn't want con- just converts. They weren't into numbers. Some churches are into numbers, you know, I mean, they keep track of how many people. And listen, we should be more concerned about disciples. We should be more concerned about taking people from where they are now to maturity in Jesus Christ. Do they know Christ? Have they come to know Him as Lord and, and Savior? And then how can we help them grow in Christ? Um, Colossians 1.28 says, We proclaim Him, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom, with the goal that we may present everyone mature in Christ. That's critical. That's what the church should be about. And so that's why all these little activities, priorities were set in place right here in verse 42. Jonathan Lehman, part of Nine Marks Ministry, says that a local church is a group of Christians who regularly gather in Christ's name to officially affirm and oversee one another's membership in Jesus Christ and His kingdom through gospel preaching and gospel ordinances. I don't know. You can compare that and you say, where's that in Scripture? As you study the New Testament, um, is there a place for the local church? I think there is. The Philippian church, the Colossian church, the Ephesian church, you see local churches. They regularly gather. It's not to be our habit to not gather together. Um, In Christ's name, that's what unites us, his death, his resurrection, the gospel. And we officially affirm and oversee. These are interesting words. So you should know whether I am truly a believer or not. And I I should care about whether or not you are a true believer in Jesus Christ. And if you are, there should be fruits of repentance in your life and in my life. And, and if something is inconsistent with the Scripture, we have every right to come to one another. We affirm, we oversee one another's membership in Jesus Christ and His kingdom. And, and, and this is through gospel preaching, through the Word of God, and uh, gospel ordinances that remind us of the gospel. So uh, key, key words, um, apostles' teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread, and prayer. So, in order to grow and mature, new believers need doctrinal instruction. They need relational connection. This word fellowship is the word koinonia. Koinos is the word common. Um, Koine Greek was, was, the, was the common language of the first century. Koine Greek. Koinonia means common. What do we share in common? You see, we can focus on all the things we don't have in common how all of our preferences are different, things that I focus on, you don't focus you know, But there's something we share in common. And, and brothers and sisters, this is where unity comes from, is when we can put aside what we think is so very important and say, no, what does Christ think is most important? And, and we, we understand that through the study of Scripture. And so we, 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 we immerse ourselves in the Word of God. I just thought this morning while I was in ABF, I thought, 
I'm not saying this to even... I'm just saying, God by His Spirit gives me a love for... I just sat there and I thought, I just love the Scriptures. Do, do you love to hear the voice of God? That's a, that's a huge identifying factor of Christ followers. The apostles teach it. It's like, oh my goodness, we need to hear this. If you don't have that, you need to ask God for that. You need to examine your own heart to see if you've truly repented and believed upon the Lord Jesus Christ. Not not me to put a guilt trip on anybody. I'm just simply saying that this should be a part of my life. When I don't have a hunger for God's Word, I need to pray for that hunger because this is what Christ's followers and the church should have. It's the first thing listed here, the apostles' teaching, constantly devoting themselves to it. You can't get enough of it. You say, well, what if I'm studying the Old Testament? Remember, the Old Testament points to Christ. Where do we see it? We, we learned in our class, in the temple. In the temple, how Christ, it's a, the temple is a type of Christ. This is where we meet with God. This is how we come to know God, is through Christ. Beautiful. It's beautiful. The gospel-centered church will be characterized by awe. We see in verses 43, um, generosity, verses 44 and 45. Those who believed were, were together and had all things in common, selling, they're sharing. Um, we see unity. Um, they were continually one mind. Verse 46. This is a common term we, we read in the New Testament. One mind. You say, how do we think the same thing of each other? I'm so different than everybody. No. We think the same thing of what Christ says and thinks. And it's what the Spirit affirms in the Scriptures. This is what, this is what keeps us centered. Um, so, uh, unity, we see joy, we see praise, and this will result in sinners being drawn to the Savior. It will be attractive. It's supposed to be attractive. <laughs> day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple, breaking bread. We broke bread this morning uh, from house to house. They were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day. The Lord was adding to their number. Um, it's not a performance thing. This isn't something... The, the goal is not numbers. The goal is the gospel. And the gospel is powerful enough to save the Spirit uses the gospel and the Word to draw people to the Savior. But He does that as people observe the gospel community at work. Our greatest apologetic, Jesus said, all men will know that you're my disciples. By what? By our love for one another. And this is what will, this will have a huge impact on the people around us. All right? All right, let's finish up. Uh, just some practical personal application. Number one, have you truly repented and been baptized into, into Christ? Um, in the first century, there was no such thing as an unbaptized believer in Jesus Christ because they repented, they trusted Christ as Savior. This is what brought forgiveness of sins. And then 
to show their identification with Christ and with his church, they were baptized. And if you've not been baptized, I just encourage you to consider that. I just want you to know that as, as a church, we've, we've um, in the early days, I, I confess that I, I did not stress baptism that much. And I have repented of that. I really have, because as you see in the New Testament, this was part of their identifying with Christ and his church. Repentance and faith, that is what I should plead with people, to repent and believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ. But once you do that, and you have experienced by by God's grace, the forgiveness of your sins, then there should be a desire to be identified with a body of believers. Um, so, repentance for forgiveness of sins, that, that's, um, that's our key. But repent and each one of you be baptized. Okay, number two. So I just I want to challenge you with that. Have you trusted Christ um, have you come to that place that Jesus Christ, who died and rose again, is Lord? That you could say in your heart today, Christ is Lord. That, that, the Bible says you only say that by the Spirit of God. Uh, you say, oh, I could say that. You know what I mean? No, I mean truly, genuinely, Christ is Lord. I submit to Him as my Master. He is he is everything to me in terms of my salvation and, um, and my forgiveness. And so, yes, Christ is Lord. Um, if you've not, I ask you, what would keep you from turning and repenting and believing on the Lord Jesus Christ today? Number two, how are you being used to build up Christ's church? You, as we study the book of Acts, this flyover of first century church, you're going you're gonna to be amazed at how many times like the word together comes up. You know what I mean? Uh, so we're going to find Peter being released from prison, right? Miraculously, uh, in Acts chapter 12, uh, he's released from prison. Where does he go? Immediately to where the church was gathered in a prayer meeting. As conditions for Christians worsen, as followers of Christ experience greater opposition, you will be forced by God not only to see the preciousness of our gatherings, but you will be forced to declare who your Lord is. And, and, and this gospel goes forth, we're going to see in the book of Acts, through persecution as they are scattered. So, togetherness. They, those who believed were together and had all things in common. Um, I love this quote from Ann Ortland. Every congregation has a choice to be one of two things. Um, you can choose to be a bag of marbles, single units that don't affect each other except on collision. On Sunday morning, you can choose to go to church or to sleep in. Who cares whether there's 192 or 193 marbles in the bag? doesn't matter. Or you can choose to be a bag of grapes. The juices mingle together, and there's no way to extricate yourself if you tried. Each part, each is part of all. 
I'm sorry to break it to you. You're not marbles. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you are intricately, intimately identified with a body of believers, some of whom are very hard to get along with. Okay, I'm sure people say that of me. But listen, we are to be unified, like-minded around what Jesus says we are to be like-minded around. Not my preferences or yours, His preferences. And so we humble ourselves. We sang, rid me of myself. (laughs) Say that a few times this week. Lord, rid me of myself. I belong to you. How about making that your prayer rather than, Lord, do this for me or do that for me. No, rid me of myself. There There is an emptying of ourself that Jesus so beautifully exemplified, we see in Philippians 2. And this should be the attitude that we have toward one another that I actually consider your interest more important than my own. Huge. And this is what the gospel community should be about. I was just reading in in 1 Corinthians 3 where it says, Do you not know that you're a temple of God and, and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? If any man destroys the temple of God, God listen, will destroy him. For the temple of God is holy, and that's what you are. I should not have any desire to tear anyone else down. My desire is to exalt Christ. My desire is to help hold each other accountable for our actions. You can do that with me. And I, as as fellow members of the body, I should be able by speaking the truth in love to help you in this way. And, um, and this is what we commit to. Number three, how do you see the evidence of God advancing the gospel? Would you say that you're connected enough, involved enough to see how the gospel is advancing in, in this body, in this community? Um, if you're so unconnected, you, it's hard maybe for you even to see how God is advancing the gospel. The Lord was adding to the number daily who those who were being saved. All right. Um, let's see. That's good. All right. That's, um, as the worship team comes, I, there's a book um, in my library that I have really uh, profited from. It's, in call, it's called Total Church, A Radical Reshaping Around Gospel and Community. And um, in their chapter on evangelism... Um, Uh, Tim Chester and Steve Timmis say this, the Holy Spirit brings the church into existence through the gospel word. That's what we see with Peter. Through that same gospel word, he continues to change people so that they become less lovers of self and more lovers of God and others. This is the community life that models the gospel because it is the life for which we were made. As non-Christians are exposed to this dynamic, they begin to see that the gospel word is more than just a set of propositions to be assented to. They see it as the very power of God for healing and wholeness, as the word that brings life and blessing. In view of contemporary culture, we should not underestimate the need for authenticity among the people of God. Perhaps this need is greater than when cultures are being introduced to Christianity for the first time. 
the Western world has advantages for, from a, a, a Christian influence stretching back hundreds of years. But this longevity has also brought disadvantages, including a lack of credibility. People have rejected the gospel word in part because they have not been exposed to credible gospel community. Churches have often stood aloof from society. Evangelicals have tended to run away from marginalized urban areas to populate more comfortable suburbs. Christians are often perceived as irrelevant and self-righteous. If these perceptions have any basis, we should not point the finger too quickly at people's spiritual blindness. Jesus gives the world the right to judge the sincerity of our profession on the basis of our love for each other. In other words, we should face with humility the challenge of unbelief. Our response should be one of repentance and faith, resulting in lives, listen, of authentic corporate existence lived boldly before a skeptical and apathetic world. Do not tell me that someone could not walk into a congregation of believers having hardly ever been exposed to the Word of God and, and seeing the love of the body in this gospel community and hearing the Word of God, their souls are pierced. You say, the sermons need to get shorter and they don't need to be as pointed. Tell that to Peter. No. They need to hear the pure and unadulterated Word of God. And when they hear it, the Spirit uses it to bring sinners to repentance and unite them together as a gospel community that will impact the world. Rid yourself of yourself. Put your preferences aside. Study the Scriptures. What is your preferences, God? Align yourself with that humbly. Surrender yourself to the Lord Jesus. Involve yourself in the gospel community. And watch how the Lord adds to our number. It's not rocket science. It's the Spirit of God changing one life at a time through the message of the gospel. Let's stand together and express our praise to Him. Thank you.